I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Welcome to Louise Report. This is Clark here. Hello, everybody. Is that what you're saying? Is that what you're saying? Is that what you're saying? Okay. Yeah, he was just screaming in my ear, so I had to kind of start singing along with him. But uh, he's a big fan of that song. He plays it in the car sometimes, so uh, he he definitely is a big Bon Jovi guy. Uh, He was just okay. (laughs) I've been waiting a long time for that. (laughs) So you guys can package that someplace, okay? Our view of what we've needed has changed as different players have stepped up and different players have developed over the year and different guys have jumped into roles and and excelled and then injuries influence matters as well and and sort of shift your focus onto different areas of the roster. But um, certainly Alex Galchenyuk's um, rise to prominence on our roster had altered a little bit of what we were looking for and really let us focus up front on on the thing that I I really felt that we needed from the beginning, which was to try to find a player uh, that could play up and down our lineup that had tremendous character, uh, competitiveness, defensive responsibility, but also um, had skill and ability to play with any of our our top three lines. So that was a compliment with Nick. James, it is a special edition of the podcast for two reasons. One reason is we get to talk about the trade deadline, which obviously only happens once a year. And another reason we have the people's favorite guest, Chris Johnson from Hockey Night in Canada. Chris, how excited are you to talk about the trade deadline today? I'm actually pretty pumped. Um, Some years it's a little different than others in terms of my personal experience with it, but I, I enjoyed the last few days. And, you know, I think this is going to be actually a pretty compelling playoffs we have ahead, uh, maybe just with, with it being a little bit uh, different. And I, and I sort of feel that uh, the trade deadline sets the scene and sets the stage for, for what comes next. And it's the best time of year. This was kind of a, a weird trade deadline, wasn't it? Like, I wasn't expecting all everything to start going down Friday and then Saturday and then Sunday. Like, kind of, it, it was kind of like a all weekend event as opposed to just the one day trade fest that we've kind of grown used to. Yeah, it's, it's getting funky. You know, I, I should look back at previous <laughs> years. It feels like the last couple of years, we, we've gotten some trades on the Sunday, you know, right before the Monday deadline. And, you know, it's it's the, the ever-present debate, you know, the last few years that I've, I've worked in television is, you know, how long should the show be? When should we go up? Should we do a Sunday show and a Monday show? And, and it's kind of a moving mm-hmm. target. It'd, it'd obviously be easier if there was just a period where the trades were announced. But, you know, I, I you're right. This was... 
kind of a strange year because there's maybe only three or four sort of notable players or big name players. You might call them, you know, available and, and they all went really before Monday. Um, so, you know, I think that, that, you know, once that happened, it, it kind of took some of maybe the, the sex appeal out of the deadline, but um, you know, it's also a, a strange year for the GMs operating their teams and the cap and everything. And I think that that had a pretty big impact as well. So it was the end of the day and I was working on, on my story, you know, looking at the trades and I had TS on in the background on mute and uh, Bob McKenzie comes on at the end of the day to talk to Jay on, right. And, you know, I know that's the other network, so maybe you don't want to talk about it, but Bob McKenzie comes on. And one of the first things he says is the Maple Leafs didn't want Taylor all. Um, is, is that kind of your understanding of where they were at with Taylor Hall? Yeah, I I think the way, you know, I didn't hear what Bob said, but I'm sure you, you got it right it there. It was literally, I, it, that was the quote, yeah. There you go. I mean, I think the way I would sort of frame it or the way I understand it is that he, he certainly wasn't their first choice, um, you know, which isn't the same as saying that there was no set of circumstances where they wouldn't have traded for them because maybe, you know, if they miss out on Nick Foligno, some other players uh, go elsewhere. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe that sort of changes the plan, but it's, you know, it's pretty clear that they paid pretty much the highest price, um, you know, for a player at this deadline in the, in the Felino deal. And so, you know, that was the guy that they'd identified as, as their target. And, and, you know, I'm sure they could have got Taylor Hall for that price had they wanted him. So, you know, I certainly am not quibbling with the, the characterization, but I would say guys that, you know, to me, there were still potentially a set of circumstances if we're going to game theory this through that, uh, you know, Taylor Hall, Hulk still could have been a Maple Leaf, you know, if, if certain players didn't fall their way, if, if Nick Foligno ends up going, you know, maybe he wanted to play somewhere else, you know, there was probably just because of the limited number of impactful forwards that, that moved, you know, that it, it could have happened that he was theirs, but, you know, ultimately there was no buyer that was aggressive as Kyle Dubas. He, he was willing to expend a significant amount of his, his draft capital from this year and next. He identified his targets and he went and got them. And so it's clear that Taylor Hall wasn't, uh, the top target for him at forward. I think that that was Nick Foligno basically all along, at least among the, the players that ended up uh, being available and moving. And, you know, we'll see how that, that decision plays out. I, I've had some complaints from Leafs fans just about the price that they paid, but I, you know, it's kind of the laws of supply and demand. And there were a number of teams that wanted a forward and there really weren't a lot of forwards. Once Paul Mary went to the Islanders, you know, e- even someone like Yanmark goes for a second and a third round pick to Vegas. And, that's just because there, there weren't that many options. So, you know, if it wasn't going to be Foligno for the Leafs and they weren't sure about Hall, there's not really anyone else it really could have been. So I, I kind of understand why they ended up where they did in terms of the asking price. Right. And and this is the time to trade those draft picks. You know, I, I get that, that every fan, every person, you want to have you want to have it every possible way, but it just can't be that way. You, you have to go down a certain path and, you know, where the Leafs are at in their development as a team. You know, I think this is the time it makes all the sense in the world to to make the best team possible under the constraints of the salary cap uh, and the rules of the league. And so, yeah, if they could have traded for Nick Foligno straight up and they didn't need, you know, Columbus to keep half his salary and then, uh, you know, the other half to be taken by San Jose, then then it's probably just a first-round pick for Nick Foligno. And let's face it, the least pick is going to be anywhere from 25th to 31st. I mean, it's it's essentially a second-round pick if, if you want to look at it that way. So, you know, I, I don't think the price should be that big a concern. There, there's obviously risk with the rental. I mean, Nick Foligno's going to play 10 games max regular season and then whatever the playoffs hold, which could be four. You know, I'm not predicting they get swept, but you, you're, you're, you're really acquiring him for a short amount of time and hoping that 
he can make a, an impact in, in that time. And, you know, but I think that there's also a huge price to doing nothing. And, and you know, look at the conversations there in Edmonton right now about, you know, a pretty quiet deadline for Ken Holland. I think when you have a team that you reasonably believe can win, and I remember Jonas wrote a nice story on this, the 5% championship rule, I think that you should be compelled to go all in and then you deal with the consequences next year. Well, so I want to drill down, though. Um, we can come back to that because I think it's interesting as well. But I want to drill down on the, the choice between Felino and Hall. And obviously, they made the choice for Felino. I think it's really fascinating um, because I can see what they were thinking with, with Nick Felino. He can do some different things than, than what they've got. He can play on your first line. He can play on your second line, third line. He can kill penalties. He's good defensively. But there's obviously a higher upside with Taylor Hall. And and I wonder, actually, I think it's pretty clear that the, the playoffs and how the playoffs went, especially last year, have shaped what they're thinking. Do you think they risk going too far in the direction, Chris, like where they've kind of overcompensated for, for what happened and, and not just kind of like maybe overthought it? Like Taylor Hall is a better player than Nick Foligno at this point, is he not? Like, do you know what I'm trying to say? I, I know what you're trying to say, and I just think there's so much more to the game than offense and goals. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, Taylor Hall gives you a lot offensively, uh, but leaves something to be def- desired defensively. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think what the Leafs have essentially decided here is, is, look, they saw how Tampa won the cup in the bubble with one dangerous forward line, like a ridiculously dangerous forward line a highly productive top defenseman in Victor Hedman who won the Conn Smythe Trophy, and then useful players who, who provided little or, no to the, little or no offense to the cause. And I think the Leafs are just, this is them going all in on their high-end forwards and, and recognizing that they're either going to win a Stanley Cup because Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, William Nylander, John Tavares, that those guys play to their potential and perform or not. And, and so... You know, I think that the, the focus has been on building the best team around those players that can support them, that can not blow a lead for them, that can make sure that when they get up 3 nothing, as they did in a playoff game, an important one against Columbus, that, that they have players that can get that, that game into the barn and without, uh, you know, without any bad things happening. And, you know, that, that, that you're asking for saves in that situation, but I think you're asking also for a team that knows how to play defensively and is aware of the situations. And, and so, you know, when you look at the fit, I think Nick Foligno does more of that. You know, Boston is bringing in a Taylor Hall because they're not getting enough goals. Uh, and I know obviously they have a killer number one line, but they really got nothing else going on down their lineup. And, you know, I think the Leafs still have enough secondary scoring to get by, but it's going to be the, the big guys that, that get the job done or not, um, which is a lot to put on their shoulders, but that's that's kind of how it works. And, and so... You know, I, I, I understand how they got to that point. I also understand why fans, you know, love the idea of another first overall pick and someone with Taylor Hall's profile and the fact he was just sitting there basically had for, for peanuts. Uh, you know, I, I can see, look, we're going we're gonna to be looking back on this one way or the other, no matter how it works out. But, you know, I do think that filling a role and building, you know, this is where probably some of us have been misguided in looking at Kyle Dubas. I think it was thought for a long time he just wanted to build for crazy scoring lines with, with as much offensive talent as possible. And it's clear, at least to me now for some time, that he shifted or evolved or, you know, viewed the team differently. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's filling, it's kind of like the Lou, Lou Lamorell thing about everyone's got to play an instrument in the orchestra. I think that it, 
he's looking to f- fill specific roles and and you know obviously Nick Foligno someone that can kill penalties for them I think probably ends up on the third line as my guess I, you know I'm not saying he'll start there in the first game he plays but I think that's where he'll settle and and but can move up if they encounter injuries or they're looking to shake things up in a game or what have you and you know just another trusted veteran that's been through it all and isn't gonna isn't gonna lose his mind when shit hits the fan in the playoffs because yeah. you know shit always hits the fan at some point in the playoffs. But I, I guess I, I would just say, like, in looking at Tampa, I just pulled it up where you're talking. Like, you're right. Like, in the playoffs, five on five, Point had 10 goals, Palat had eight, Kucherov had six, Hedman had six, Coleman had five, Gord had five. But I, I think we saw. In last 25 year, games, though, like. In 25 games, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I just think we saw last year, and, and you mentioned when we were texting about it, like, the shooting percentage against Columbus was just, like, insanely low. I think it was 2%. But I think the conversation has to change a little bit with what's gone on this year. John Tavares is not the same contributor he was last year or the year before. And I just would be a little concerned that when it really dries up, where are they going to get offense from besides Marner and Matthews? And maybe the answer is simply Marner and Matthews. And and obviously they need their power play to, to come along. But I just worry that like you kind of need you might need a little extra juice over four playoff rounds, and I'm not totally sure they have it, and maybe they do. But I, I worry like that that the Tavares thing is is persists, and that becomes a problem. Do you not see any of that, or or do you think Felino kind of compensates for other stuff, and they maybe are just better overall? I, hmm. You're raising a good point. Like I'm not. You yeah, know, I know I, you're not. I know you're not black and white on this thing. Like it's not uh, there. It's all gray. But I, I, I think it's interesting. Well, I mean, they're one of the highest scoring teams in the league, right? I mean, number one in expected that, goals and number two in total goals at five on five. In, in goals per game, even including the power play, struggling a historic struggle right now. They're fifth in the league. They have three point three three goals per game. I mean, I, I think adding Taylor Hall would be like it, it's like adding another element that you've already got. Like you, you kind of have that in the. I, what Do Chris is saying know? makes sense. I mean, if if Matthews and Marner don't score, you're not winning no matter what. So trying to build a contingency plan for that feels kind of. But but James, over like a seven game series, like you can you can just those guys can just go cold. Like it can just happen. We saw it that stretch where where Matthews was hurt. So that's like, um, that's a big factor in that. But they they weren't as dangerous offensively. Like they had no other line that you looked at and said, man, that, that, that group is going. Now, I think the, the Alex Galchenyuk thing is interesting that that's kind of swung them a little bit. Um, like how much do you believe in, in Alex Galchenyuk being enough in terms of like propping up or not propping up, but like supporting, let's say, Tavares and Neander? Well, I think he's good enough to be their six best forward, which is really all they need. You know what I mean? Like, you know, they're not asking him to be the primary goal scorer for the team or to be driving even the possession on the line, you know, he just needs to be able to play with those players and contribute a little bit. And, and I think I've seen enough where I'm comfortable saying that he fits that role. Uh, you know, I think the problem with someone like Taylor Hall, and this isn't even specific to Taylor, but you know, you have to, you have to make those guys feel good, right? You have to find him power play minutes. You have to find him opportunities to feel important to, you know, because he is such an offensive player. Whereas I think, and again, that's not specific to him. I think any elite offensive player you bring in, that's that's what you're you're going to be doing. And and I don't know if they necessarily have those minutes for him, unless 
they were going to put him with Marner and Matthews, for example. Um, you know, whereas Nick Polino, if he plays 12 minutes or he plays 18 minutes, I think he's giving you the same thing. I think that, you know, he's not measuring his worth or, or his contributions in the same way. Um, you know, I, I just think he fits in a little nicer and, and you don't have to, you're not asking Sheldon Keefe to pry open a spot that doesn't really exist for him uh, to, to be a contributor. I also, you know, I still think very highly of William Melander, and I know that this will oh, yeah. be a debate that, you know, 10 years after Williams retired, that people are going to have a certain opinion of him. And I, I don't think it's going to change from what they think today to that point in time. But, you know, I, I, I think that, well, yes, you know, some things are drying up for John Tavares, although he's played a little better recently as we're recording this podcast and contributed a little bit more. You know, I think that Nylander is a bit of an X factor once he's out of his, his COVID protocol and back on that second line. And I still think there are very few teams league-wide that have a top six that, that truly matches the Leafs right now. The other thing I would say with Hall is you look at his comments after the trade to Boston and he's a guy, you, you know, the, you're going to have to rebuild his confidence. You don't really know what you're going to get in Taylor Hall right now. It's not like he's had he's had a terrible season. He's been in Buffalo. He's had a terrible probably what two seasons, two and a half seasons, and you know you're I, he's a he's a bit of a wild card right now. It's not like you're getting Hart Trophy Taylor Hall. When you're yeah, but James, the, the counter to that is is Nick Foligno is thirty three and not like the the idea of Nick Foligno like is he still that player? And I I mean you even look at their roster like. They're getting that they're a little. And we talked about this with Elliot, and I'm sure you've talked about it with Elliot, CJ. They're a little older. Like they're like Riley Nash is 31, and I like the Riley Nash thing, and we should talk about that. But like, I don't know. Like, I think it's 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 really interesting what they've done. Like this almost re- resembles what teams kind of used to do, like pre-salary cap, where you'd kind of get veterans to come in and like put you over the top. But it's not an accident, right? I mean, literally, this whole thing is built around their top players, and their top players are young. And there's, you know, there's a case right now in my mind that Austin Matthews is the best player in the NHL. And, you know, Mitch Marner is not very far behind. He's very high on that list. And when you have William Nylander as your third best forward, all of a sudden your team or fourth, depending on where you view Tavares. I mean, the, the point is, is I think that, that, that this is a calculated effort to build the best possible you know, circumstances around those guys and then a full recognition that you're only winning a cup if those guys perform at, at, you know, best of the world kind of class. And, and, you know, based on what we've seen this year, you know, Jonas, I know you're, it's funny, you and I usually agree on things, but I've been disagreeing with you all year. Like I, I don't think the North division is nearly as poor compared to the others as, as is stated on social media. And I think you kind of hold that view a little bit. And I think what you've seen from the Leafs and the consistency from these guys is that, they're ready to be at another level. And, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be fascinating though, because you're right. It's, it's a little bit old school, but, but they're not asking really that for much offense from the rest of the, the, the lineup. I think that they're looking for even minutes, you know, from the third and fourth line, especially. And, you know, they got to get that power play going before the playoffs for, to feel a little bit better about where they're at, but you know, it's going to come down to how the Matthews line is defended how they can play through those minutes and if they can produce and if they can, you know, I think the Leafs feel they've, they finally built the team around them. I mean, look, the Leafs defensively, it's night and day from last year. And I know that's less interesting to talk about and focus on, but it, you know, they're built now to win a two, one game, I think more than they were in the past. And I think they play that style. And, and so, you know, 
that that's that's where all these whether it's Thornton, Simmons, Riley Nash, Zach Bogosian, you know, getting Nick Foligno. I mean, to me, there's a consistent pattern here where they've traded out some offensive players in Janssen and Kapanen and built a more well-rounded team with some veterans that's going to be able to sort of keep keep the boat uh, flat when the, when the waters get choppy. Well, I think, let's face it, too. I mean, the Leafs, their forwards right now, the third and the fourth line are a problem. You know, they needed reinforcements there for sure. You know, and I really like the Riley Nash addition too, even if he's just going to be a fourth line guy that plays nine or 10 minutes a game and not just because he's from, from Kamloops, but <laughs> the, the I, least I, Kamloops I, per 60 is a problem for me. But other than that, <laughs> <laughs> well, they haven't had anyone. I don't think since Eric Brewer. So it's been a while. I mean, Jared Smithson is, is from nearby so that he, he's from Vernon. So it's pretty close, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited. I just, I, I, I I'm going to have to write fawning Riley Nash articles, even when he's not playing, I think, at this point. so <laughs> This is the missing piece. Like, the Leafs lose a game down the stretch and, and say <laughs> they just have to hold on until they get Riley Nash. Yeah, in the he's, gonna, he's coming. He's coming, everybody. But um, I lost my train of thought now. I got caught the up. The bottom there. two lines? He was Riley Nash as a Kamloops Jardine Blazer, you know, 15 years old, playing with the, on the under-18 team. And, man, he was, he was good. Um, the bottom two lines are problematic. I mean, look at what you're getting from Thornton. Uh, Spezza has really slowed down. Uh, Pierre Engvall is not a natural center. Uh, Mikheyev has been really, really quiet offensively most of the year. Uh, Wayne Simmons has slowed down after you know that flurry early on. Kerfoot has not given them, I don't think, as much as, as we and they were probably thinking he was going to. I mean, I, there are concerns with almost everybody in the bottom six, aren't there? You mean offensively or? Well, I mean, just in terms, are you going to get enough? Like, is there going to be enough to beat, you know, are they going to get a key goal? Are they going to get a key stop against the other team's top line? Are, like, are, I don't know. Like, I don't have a lot of faith in what they've got right now in the bottom six. That's fair, I, I suppose. I just think that they got a way deeper team than most of anyone they're going to go up against. I mean. Until it's like, until it's conference final cup time. But, you know, there's a reason why well, – there's there's a couple of reasons, but one of the reasons why they're playing Matthews and Marner and Hyman so many minutes is is they don't have enough faith in some of the guys further down the lineup. Like, it's not it's not really balanced deployment, and it hasn't been all year. Yeah, but it's working. I mean, you know, do you have, do you have the minutes for the Tampa guys, Jonas, somewhere handy? I mean, I'm, I'm sure that they leaned on those guys. You know, I, th- I think that that's how – they're going to win. I'm fascinated to see what this bottom six looks like. Like, I, I really don't know how this yeah. will shake out when everyone is healthy and the quarantine period, you know, elapses. I mean, I don't think anyone takes joy in this observation, uh, but, you know, it, it seems that Joe Thornton's spot in the lineup is certainly in serious jeopardy uh, once they have other options. Uh, you know, I don't know how that will be managed because, to my knowledge, I don't think he's ever really scratched in San Jose. You know, might have went through that a little bit at the start of his career in Boston. I, you know, I don't even have that off the top of my mind, but that it'll be a new experience for him if it if it gets to that. Um, well, my understanding is Thornton resisted taking some days off in San Jose to to rest. Like that was something that he was he was openly against. Right. I mean, and you get the feeling Sheldon keeps like trying to catch him doing something good. You know what I mean? He's still giving him opportunities, yeah. and when it's six on five situation or power play, what what have you? I mean, obviously they. They want him to be part of it, but you know it's hard to ignore the precipitous fall in his his production since he's returned from injury this most recent time. And 
you know, that the fact that I still think they have a lot of options there. I mean, maybe they won't encounter injuries, but if everyone's available, uh, it's hard to make a case for them in their top 12 right now. Well, when, when Felino's ready to play and Nylander comes back, there's two that have to come out of the lineup. And then if you envision Riley, uh, Riley Nash as someone who's going to be, uh, going to be in, in the top 12, then there's three that have to come out. And it's, I mean, it's, you're going to be sitting some, some guys who have played the whole season for them. Right. You know, I would think Engvall's in danger there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, maybe Wayne Simmons, you know, I, I don't know. That's what I mean. I, I don't have a full picture of how the, the puzzle pieces are going to fit. You know, I sort of wonder with Riley Nash, does, does that free Kerford up maybe to be the top six winger again, if, if they need, um, you know, there's certainly more, there's, there's more optionality, I guess, with, with this group of players than what they had before the deadline, because, you know, I think Galchenyuk is, is an option there. Obviously Hyman, uh, you know, we've seen that he's can be effective in that role. You know, you might have Kerfoot, you might have Polino. You know, I think that there's a lot Sheldon Keefe can do. And, and it's, it's important for a coach like him because he's obviously someone that likes to tinker and likes to try things. And, you know, even in, in that five game playoff series with Columbus last year, we saw him move shuffle the deck chairs a lot. Now, some of that was resulting from the fact that things weren't going well, but, um, you know, I, I do think we're, I guess that that's the one benefit is I, I don't think this is a team that's going to have a long playoff run and have four consistent lines. I mean, just the way Sheldon coaches yeah. alone, we're going to see a, a variety of different roles and uses of each player. Well, and, and to your point, like before CJ, like this is going to swing on the big guys. And, and like, even in the Columbus series, Marner didn't have a great series. Nealander didn't have a great series. Tavares didn't have a great series. And so, like, maybe it's a, it's as simple as, like, Nealander. Marner is better than he was last year. I think that's pretty clear. Nealander, like, it's still a question mark what you'll get in the playoffs, I, I think, until he proves otherwise. Tavares, we talked about. But I, I do think they did a really good job, uh, and I'd be curious what you guys think, of kind of preparing for everything. Like, like, like CJ, you were talking about, like, they're they're very – uh, like versatile isn't the word I'm searching for, but they, they can kind of move in different shapes if they want to. Like they can create now uh, like a defensive line if they wanted to with like Felino, Nash, Mikheyev or Hyman or whoever. They're, they're kind of more versatile than they've ever been. And I, I'm sure you remember, Chris, like Mike Babcock used to get frustrated that they didn't have enough guys who could move over and play center. They just didn't have enough flexibility and I think they've done a pretty good job of addressing that yeah I'll even go one further like I have I struggle to think of how the team next year can be better than this one unless you know one of the prospects that essentially isn't going to be playing now really emerges as an impactful player right away you know I I think it's going to be difficult for them to line up the amount of you know below market contracts they have obviously they've spent a lot of draft picks at this this trade deadline so they're not probably going to be as well equipped to do you know act similarly next year and with all the unrestricted free agents they have. I mean, I, I think that they've, they've done about expansion as good a job too, as they Chris. can do. What's that? Expand, expansion will grab somebody too. Yeah. Expansion. And then everyone gets a year older. I mean, somebody that's probably playing well now might not be playing as well next year because, because of age. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think they've done a nice job of, of really putting themselves in a position for success here, but man, the job, like, Kyle Lewis can't put his feet up for too long. They're going to have to be beating the bushes trying to find useful players, you know, basically as long as they keep the, the top four being paid what they are and the cap doesn't go up. 
I wonder if one of the lessons they could learn, this is a bit of a tangent, but I wonder if one of the lessons they could learn from this year is maybe when they're getting these bargain basement players, maybe try and go a little bit younger than they did in the offseason. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, maybe maybe you're looking for more Galchenyuk's than, than uh, Thornton's, you know, next summer. That would be one way I think they could potentially, you know, improve is just have have some better bargain buys than this year. Makes sense. I mean, it just there's there's so few of those guys. I mean, I, I guess you have to sell all players on the idea of wanting to play here, and it's it's worked. You know, that was one of Mike Babcock's predictions that when the Leafs got good again, that that it, whether it's Toronto area players or Ontario players would would want to come here and would be willing to work with the team to to make it work in in the cap. And you know, I think they're gonna have to keep hoping for that. I mean, it sounds like Nick Foligno, for example, every reason to believe he's going straight back to Columbus, but you know, someone like him would. Well, I guess he's still 33. Um, it's hard because the younger players, you know, haven't made the money yet. And, and the Leafs just don't have a lot of money to compete that way. They have to offer, you know, a chance to win, you know, a city that, that loves the team, a marquee franchise. You know, they have to offer some other things to, to make up for it. But usually, a, you know, I think this is going to be a, a factor in Zach Hyman's, you know, contract negotiation. I just don't know that the Leafs can pay him anywhere near what the market's going to pay him. And as much as he loves playing here and all, all the, the things, you know, I, I don't know from a business standpoint, if he's going to be able to to take as the, the, the less the Leafs are offering, for example, you know, they, that's, that's a sensitive that's, subject on this podcast. What's that? Yeah, We debate, we debate that all the time, but we can get into that. That's, that's, that feels like a debate for another time. Fair. Like, like, okay. Yeah, sure. I'm just saying uh, that that the same dynamic that exists in that decision for Zach Hyman exists for younger players you know, coming here, I just, I, it's going to be harder to get a 25 year old or 28 year old playing for a million bucks playing here that, that, that yep. that's any good. Yep. That makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, Chris, we're going to take a break here quickly. I got one more for you before we do. Uh, this is kind of dealer's choice. Um, you want to talk about the other additions, Riddick or, um, or Ben Hutton who, who interests on. you. In- <laughs> Jay, that's too deep. Isn't that too deep in the weeds? Even for us, <laughs> well, I mean, the goaltending. Okay, let's talk about the. I think I mean, we the, need to talk the, about the goaltending. The goaltending goal is, is like. Well, that's not deep in the weeds. Then I mean, he's he's going to be playing. He could be playing tonight. So. I think we should. Yeah, we're recording this on Tuesday morning. I think the bigger question, James, like beyond David Riddich, is the top of their goaltending. And I, I still think, and I was saying this to you last night. I still think like we need to consider the possibility of Frederick Anderson reemerging, or. Something like I, I'm really curious to see how Jack Campbell will handle being the number one guy in the playoffs because obviously he's never done it before. Um, there's I, like there's nothing they could have done obviously beyond what they did, CJ. But like it's really interesting that their season in some ways kind of hinges on Campbell being ready for that or Anderson emerging from like this brutal couple years to reassert himself. Yeah, like I personally think we're going to see Frederick Anderson play playoff games. Um, or a playoff game. Like I, I saw some people out there saying he's done as a leaf. I, I don't buy that. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think we're going to see him now for the rest of the regular season based on the, the financial implications of the moves they've made. But, you know, certainly they're, they haven't turned their back on him. They're not looking, you know, solely to the future. Um, you know, I think that, that Riddick is, is obviously insurance for them in this situation because there's no guarantees. Frederick's going to get back. You know, it's my understanding he's been dealing with a knee issue. Those are problematic for goalies uh, with the amount of torque they put on their legs with with the positioning, the way they 
they stand. And and so, you know, I, I don't know. I think that that partly explains why this has been a not straight line return for him, not just a, you know, three to four week return. And, and, you know, I think that it's, it's, that's part of why this has been up in the air is just because part of it is just when he can feel comfortable, but you know, I think the least believe their best two goalies are, are Anderson and, and Campbell and, you know, that they will probably have to play both of them in the playoffs, but, you know, should Freddie not be able to get back or if he does get back and doesn't play well, if, you know, if he's not in the right, if his body doesn't, you know, cooperate, um, you know, they've got at least got David Riddick uh, before you get to Michael Hutchinson. Uh, it is fascinating though. I mean, as much as we talk about the team they built and all the planning they've done and, you know, it could all be undone if, if they don't get saves, you know, that's the same for any team when it comes to playoff time, but there's, there's far more of a, degree of unpredictability with what they have in net than, than say, you know, what Tampa's dealing with with Andre Vasilevsky, for example. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, we are back. James, it's your time to shine as always. Um, or is there anything else you want to touch on before we get to questions? Um, Nash, I know you're, you're excited about Ben Hutton. Um do you think Ben Hutton's going to play above Travis Dermott when everyone's up to full no. speed? No. no. Do you? I don't, but I, I don't know. I, and I haven't asked anyone, so I, I just was curious what you guys thought of that. I, I think they'll mix Hutton in for some regular season games, and you know maybe Dermott sits a little. I, I think actually Dermott's played okay lately. I mean, he's had some of his better games on this stretch where the team's been good. So, I mean, why mess with something that's worked, right? Right. I guess what it is is Martin Marincin insurance. It's it's one more guy that yes. plays before you have to call him Marincin. Yeah, and Sandine hasn't played all year. And, you know, like, do you really trust Rosen or Lilgren? Or, I mean, Hutton's, you know, it's, I asked a, a couple of people around the league what they thought of what the Leafs did. And I, a, a couple of responses I got back were, I really like what they did, but I don't like Hutton. <laughs> I heard that yeah. from two or three people. So, but, you know, with the caveat that they didn't think Hutton was going to play that much. So, you know, is it, it is, is this, it is funny though that he's never played in the playoffs before. Well, he's only been in the league five years, six years. I know, but like you're you're thinking of him as like insurance in case you need him, and he would. That doesn't mean he can't play well. Like it just is interesting. Ron Hainsey hadn't all played right. a playoff game till he played all of them with Pittsburgh. Yeah, That's true, but he had like Bo a thousand Meister. games. Yeah, there, there's lots of guys. I mean, sometimes it's circumstantial. Didn't right? Zach Bogosian wasn't last Zach year his Bogosian, first playoff yeah. year too? Yes. Yeah. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. 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 Maybe he just means you want it more if you've never played in the playoffs. Maybe it doesn't mean that. Uh, anyway. And really, you're uh, looking for a D to play like 12 minutes in that situation and just not get scored on. <laughs> like just yes. do, just have presence to get the puck out of your zone and and keep it simple and kill some penalties. You know, it it, it can be pretty. As we know, playoff hockey isn't all beautiful, right? Like Luke Shen played meaningful number of games for the the Lightning last year and was just a physical guy who literally just flipped the puck out and, and fought a couple times, and it worked for them. All right. I have – there's a lot of really good questions. The first one's from Anthony Andrews. He wants to know, were there any interesting trades he heard about the Leafs potentially making that didn't materialize over the last few days? Not really. You know, I 
I, I do think that they, they basically got done what they wanted to get done. You know, I, I think they had some interest in Jamie Alexiak, you know, as did a number of teams, um, as, as maybe that depth defenseman, but, you know, ultimately Dallas decided not to move on from him uh, with where they're at and, and I think the desire to resign him. So, you know, the Leafs weren't one of the teams that I think was cooking up anything crazy that, that didn't happen. Um, you know, I look more to, you know, for example, like the Ryan Getzlaff to Vegas stuff was real. You know, there was discussion there and I think some mutual interest in a fit. It didn't, didn't happen. Vegas has huge cap issues. You know, Anaheim wasn't going to trade him for nothing. It was just too complicated of a deal to pull off. But, you know, those are the ones I think are the more interesting kind of near misses just because, you know, like the Leafs, Vegas is a team trying to get over the top, trying to give themselves the best lineup of players heading into the playoffs where, where they have high expectations on their season. And, you know, they weren't able to do that. I think that they might still have a weakness down the middle, whereas the Leafs, you know, targeted depth at all three positions, managed to, to get the job done and, you know, managed to land Nick Felino, who was, you know, one of the, the most prominent players available to them, uh, you know, on the trade market. Alexiak would have been a really... I really would have liked that move because I think, I mean, you look at the way he's playing right now, like he's playing basically on their top pair with Haskin and playing against really tough competition. Like if they could swap out Dermot and put him in there or yeah. whatever, like then their defense is just like, man, they're really, well then they're if, sad. You, if you have an injury to the top four, you're not yes. worried about it. Right. Then you've got a someone you feel con- like that's one thing that I really feel like, you know, if Muzzin goes down again or Brody gets hurt or even Hall gets hurt, I, I'm, all of a sudden the blue line makes me a little bit concerned and the D is not very battle tested in the sense that they haven't had any injuries. I mean, it's been really unlike last season, it's been very smooth sailing for them and health wise. So yeah, that would be a concern for me. If you all of a sudden you start shaking up the pairings and you move guys to their offside or whatever, then you don't want to be doing that for the first time in the playoffs. But I guess in this case, since the guy didn't move, I mean, yeah, what can you, you do? didn't have the second Team playing tango. I kind of liked Kulikov, and he went for a little bit more than uh, than Hutton, and I think can play a little bit higher in the lineup. I don't, I don't know if the Leafs ever looked at Kulikov or not, but I just think that he can. He he can. He's a better fit for the top four if you need him to be. All right, uh, Kyle Barker would like to put Chris on the hot spot. Yes. He says with the acquisitions of Nash and Foligno, who do you see coming out of the lineup to accommodate them? So you got to you got to move three. You got to sit three guys. Okay. Well, because Nylander's coming too. I I I think Joe Thornton's out of that that lineup. Although keep in mind, like Nash doesn't play till the playoffs. That that's that's maybe the X factor with him is he's injured. Yeah. And they might not insert him right away, depending on how things are going for the team. But if we take the players they have on their roster and their top twelve forwards right now, I think Engvall comes out. I think Thornton comes out. Ooh. Then it's going to be Simmons or Spezza probably, right? Yeah. And if- no, I think you guys have it wrong. I think you're, you're, you've got it wrong. Like, I think CJ's right. Like it's, these are the top 12 forwards that I have right now. Hyman, Matthews, Marner, Neander, Tavares, Felino, Galchenyuk, Kerfoot, Spezza, Mikheyev, Nash, Simmons. And then coming out conceivably, Thornton, Engvall, Robertson. Oh yeah, Robertson's right. that's right, right. Robertson's a factor, yeah. Yeah. But but I think CJ's right. Like I, I think obviously so much can change. Like injuries can can change, performance can change. But right now, and like this is there was like 
we were in agreement when they signed Joe Thornton that like there's no risk. Seven hundred grand, good guy to have around. But the risk always when you sign a forty one year old is like he might just be done. Like there there's going to be a point where you don't see it and it's just over. And it, it might be there as uncomfortable as it is with Thornton. And that's I mean, I, I think he'll be okay with that, but like who knows? Yeah. It's like I don't I know this is our job, but like you don't almost, you almost don't want to look in that direction. Like I don't even yeah. <laughs> like I don't want to add, start asking those questions of people or you know, there's no joy in seeing no. like someone who's had this kind of career, you know, if, if this I'm not saying it's the end. Who knows? Like he, he also had yeah. like that rib injury from what I understand is very painful. You know, maybe some time out of the lineup and then he because you know, I don't think he'll be out and just not play for 30 games. Like I I think you're yeah. going to see more of a rotation with with the way that everything works now. You know, not to mention the the possibility, the heightened possibility of injuries in the playoffs. Um, but yeah, I just I it's hard to make a case for him in their top 12 with with these additions. They've got a lot more uh, roster flexibility just on the cap than they've had all year, where they can they'll be able to mix and match and sit guys, and that's something that Sheldon Keefe has complained about at times is that they didn't really have any of that flexibility. So. You know, maybe they can justify giving some guys a break. Yeah, maybe we'll finally get some load management down the stretch. I mean, yeah, it looks it looks like About they're going to win the division just out of course at this point. Um, so, you know, as long as that remains the case and they they have first locked up, I mean, I think in these these last few weeks of the season, you should just give some of the veterans some some time off. You know, I, I don't think they'll do it with someone like Matthews. You know, it's got a you know the goal scoring race and all that stuff, but you know certainly the older players, it, it makes sense to me to just give them some scheduled nights off. Rosty wants to know: Dubas's signings and trades this season look more truculent, and they're what Babs always wanted. Is he shifting his beliefs? Is Shanahan asking him to? What does this mean for Babs's future if the Leafs do well? I guess the inference there is that this is the kind of team that he he wanted to coach uh, in Toronto. What do we think of that? Tough to say. You know, I I don't know if if Mike had any issues with the lack of truculence necessarily. You know, obviously certain players that that Kyle acquired, he, he wasn't wild about playing. I think of like Nick Batan when he first came over in a trade or. You know, the Spezza thing, we don't have to... Well, the Justin Hall one's probably the most damning one, right? I mean, look how good he's, how well he's played. Right. I mean, it's this is a difficult conversation because part of the discussion around Mike Babcock has nothing to do with roster construction or yeah. who he got along with and who he didn't get along with in the Leafs front office. I mean... No, yeah. Part of it is is some of the things that have come out about his coaching methods that don't, that aren't in line with, with the way society, you know, deems acceptable behavior. And... and I, I can't tell you how other teams are going to view that. It only takes one other GM to to want to hire him. I think he's going to work again in the NHL personally, and I don't think it matters what the Leafs do or don't do or what the lineup looks like. You know, I think that his resume will get him another job. I think he clearly has a desire to get back in the game. You know, he interviewed with Washington, uh, you know, last summer, and you know, didn't ultimately get that job. But you know, once he's out of his Leafs contract and can go work for any amount of money that that he deems fit. You know, I, I I think he's going to be back behind an NHL bench, um, and and I don't think that what happened in Toronto is going to going to impact that negatively or positively for for a lot of old school GMs out there. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right. Boy, there's a lot of questions about who the forwards are going to be in the lineup and who's going to be out. I would say that's probably half the questions we got this time. All right. Rob Tripp asks, if they're in position to do so, should the Leafs try and go all in and trying to chase for the President's Trophy or rest key players down the stretch? It's interesting because the way that they're doing the seedings when you get out of your own division is it, it matters whether you won the President's Trophy or not in terms of who you're going to face. So maybe it has more value than in previous years. I, I think it has value. You know, if you win the President's Trophy, you're going to face the worst team in the conference finals should you get yeah. there. Yeah. The worst remaining team. Now, that might be the fourth overall team. So it doesn't mean you're, you're facing a weak team necessarily. But, you know, I, I think it it's could worth- be some Cinderella team, right? That That's on fumes that somehow locked into that spot. Right. I mean, I do think that they should have that as a goal because especially because we're at this late stage of the season and they're, you know, they're in the mix. Uh, I don't I wouldn't say they're the favorite, but they, they certainly have a shot at it. Um, you know, the other interesting thing is, and, and I don't know where this stands, you know, I, I never actually got a chance to report it on TV yet, but I know as of a week ago, the league had recently started to think that there might be a window to play the Canadian playoff games in Canada in the third round. Um, mm. you know, that's not decided upon, but it, it hadn't been ruled out as of a week ago and I haven't checked up on it with the deadline, everything going on, but you know, the idea of playing at home, even if there aren't fans, you know, more often than not, because if that happens and they're playing an American team in the third round, um, you know, which is where the only place really where the president's trophy conversation is relevant is if they get to the third round. Um, you know, I, I do think that, that you wouldn't necessarily want to be playing in other cities where there could be fans as much. You know, I don't know. I don't really know what with home ice advantage is going to have any real value in this playoff setup. Um, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard to project that, but you know, I, I do think if we're just operating on sort of first principles that, you know, it, it it's best to finish as high as you can. And the Leafs have a chance to be first overall in the league in the regular season. I think that there's some value to that. It's obviously affected by the, by the weird schedule that every team's facing. So someone's going to place an asterisk on it, no matter who wins it, but you got a chance to do it. I think that they should set it as a goal and, and try to try to get it done. Well, that gets me thinking because obviously they're, I think that's what they'll try to do. Like, I don't, I don't think they'll try to take their foot off the gas, especially with what's happened in past years where they've kind of like, sputtered into the playoffs mm-hmm. but one of the interesting things to me is like the Matthews thing and, I, and you touched on it before Chris and and James and I have talked about it you and I have talked about it and I think it's going to be really interesting especially if he continues to produce like this which I think he will and especially if he continues to play as he has defensively what do you think it'll take for him to push aside Connor McDavid and win the MVP or do you think it's like McDavid's just going to have too many points. Edmonton's going to get into the playoffs and that'll be it. I don't think it's done by any stretch. You know, I think he's narrowed the gap here the last little bit. You know, I think he has a nine goal lead as we're recording the podcast. You know, if, if he wins the goal title by nine or 10 goals in a shortened season, has the kind of defensive impacts he's had, the Leafs win the division, maybe win the president's trophy, you know, all those things are possible, and I do think it shifts how you view it. Now, 
you know, the, the thing that both he and McDavid have to contend with is McDavid plays with Dreisaitl, Matthews plays with Marner. Uh, Matthews and Marner play more than five on five minutes together than the Edmonton guys do this season. Uh, and so I don't know how the voters will view that kind of when it comes to the race. But, you know, it's hands down. I, if you're voting today, I think Austin Matthews is going to be top three in the Hart Trophy vote. And I still think he has a chance to win it. I, he wouldn't be the favorite. You know, Connor's earned that with the season he's had too. But, you know, there's still 15 games left or what have you. I mean, it's still enough time for one guy to get super hot and the other to get cold and for this to look different by the time those ballots are due. Um, so, you know, I, I think he's I think he's in that mix, certainly more than he has been in the past. They've, uh, they've changed the voting this year. It hasn't gotten a lot of publicity, but there's going to be a lot fewer voters who are based in Toronto than there have been in years past. So I don't know how that will impact things, but they, they, they tried to balance it out with the way the divisions are and, and have a lot of more, you know, American voters. James, you're talking to one of the bosses. Like, CJ was is, yeah. is I know. He's the one that, in the PHW. He's the one that decided that you and I don't get to vote this year. Oh, that was an unpleasant process. That's not funny. <laughs> I mean, basically what we have... The thinking was is that even the most responsible voter this year, let's face it, isn't watching the whole league um, because, you know, if you're a beat writer for any of the teams, those teams are only playing within their own division. And so that we were at danger, not just in the North, not with not not respective just to, you know, Matthews versus McDavid for the heart. But in, in any case, you know, it's just been a hard season to to truly consider the whole league against itself. And so... You know, we wanted to get to a number that was manageable uh, from each division. And so there's 20 voters per division and then 20 at-large voters additionally for a total pool of 100 voters. And in a division like the North Division where, you know, there's more, we have far more members in, in the Professional Hockey Writers Association based in Canada. You know, a lot of very eligible voters, you know, people that have voted on the awards every year for 10 or 15 or 20 years got left off. Some of them were pretty upset. Had a few emails with F-Ball. No. The one thing I will say, Chris, is that having fewer voters might potentially, some of the more outlier decisions are going to have a higher impact. So that's one of the things that, that, that's one of my predictions of what you'll see happen as a result of that. And that worries me. You know, I've always been personally in favor, you know, when I've had these discussions as part of, I'm the vice president Right now at the PHWA, when we have internal discussions, one thing I've been consistent on is I think in a lot of ways, a larger voter pool is is better. Uh, I'll give yeah. you an example. You know, when I first came around, when I first started covering the Stanley Cup final, I believe there was nine voters on the Conn Smythe every year. There'd be three, wow. three that covered each team for the whole season. So, you know, the local beat writers, for example, and then three national writers or, or you know, that have been around covering the playoffs. And I, I kind of was pushing to say, like, it's I'm not calling anyone into question with that. I, I actually believe in the integrity of the people that would be even in consideration to be that nine. But I just think it's too small of a group that mm. it could be manipulated. And again, I'm not implicating anyone and I have no reason to believe that happened for any Conn Smythe vote before my time. But I just thought it was too dangerous. And so, you know, I don't have the, the number in front of me. It's, it's published, though, publicly. I think we had 17 voters. Uh, for the, this most recent Stanley Cup final. And I think that that's a little more realistic. You still have three that, that have covered each of the teams throughout the season, but you have far more sort of neutral parties or people that you know have watched the whole playoffs and covered the games in person is largely uh, you know, one of the 
the, the things that, that allows uh, you know, in the past that that's dictated who gets those votes. And I, th- I just feel more comfortable with that because then you're, you're, you're allowing some noise to get weeded out, I guess. And, and so, you know, hopefully we don't look back on this decision poorly. Um, I believe in our voters and I believe honestly, more often than not, it's not the player. You know, last year, for example, I had our Tommy Panera number one on my heart trophy ballot. But, you know, I don't think it's some shame that Leon Dreisaitl won just because it wasn't the person I had number one. You know, I think it's a defend, you know, it's, it's an easily defendable choice from the membership at large. And so I, I just hope we come out of this year with that same kind of consensus where, yeah, maybe the players I pick number one don't win each award, but that we get it right. Okay. Speaking of your picks, Chris, Suki wants to know, are the Montreal Canadiens still juggernauts or was that fake news? Oh, my God. <laughs> Never tweet is the lesson here. Um, because at the time, I think it was February 2nd, at the time I was watching a game, the Habs were playing, they, they had a great start, and I just, I, I wasn't, like, it's funny, like, people think I'm trying to jinx them or. How many Mondavis in were you? No, I not. I don't even think any. Honestly, I just, man, I'm pretty boring in pandemic. Like I, I don't really get up to too much. So, like these fans <laughs> have not let me forget that tweet, and and rightfully so. Look, this is all fun and games, but I really believe the Montreal Canadiens at that point looked like juggernauts. They immediately went into a tailspin after I tweeted that. Claude Julian gets fired. The Leafs get hot. So then, ever so you get two things happening. Whenever the Habs were losing, which was a lot in that period in February that tweet was getting sent back to me and, and brought back into my timeline. And then whenever the Leafs were winning, which was a lot in February, all the Leafs fans were like, well, are the Leafs juggernauts? You said this about the Habs. You, you haven't said anything about the Leafs. So they, they complete the, the three game series in Edmonton. And I don't know what their record was, but it was very good. That was the best at that point they played by far all season. And so I said, you've all been asking, yeah, the Leafs look like juggernauts. And then the Leafs went on a losing streak. So I, I've, I've tried to avoid using that word again, in any tweet, because I'm certainly not trying to jinx anyone. And, um, you know, there's been other teams around the league that have looked like juggernauts, but they'll go unnamed because I don't want anyone to think I'm influencing the results here. Colorado. Vegas. Carolina. (laughs) Florida. (laughs) This is probably a decent spot to uh, talk a little bit about the Canada division and that debate because Jonas and I have been having that this year too. And I'm I'm more on your side, Chris, where I think that the teams are going to like, you know, it feels like almost people are, are thinking that, you know, I think the Leafs are going to be the favorites, but I don't think they're going to be as heavy of a favorite in that division in the playoffs as some people are thinking. No, I think Montreal is going to give them some trouble, honestly. Yeah. Um, the way the Winnipeg's Canadians are a good built. Team. The, the, I, I like the way Winnipeg plays. Like, there's going to be a challenge there for them here. And it's the playoffs. Like it should be that, you know, Tampa, like even the Tampa's Columbus series was close. Like it was five games, but they played like a hundred overtimes in that series. Like the whole, the whole series was close. Like I know then they still have to go on and they have to beat Boston and the Islanders and and Dallas to win the cup. Um, But it's the playoffs are hard. And, you know, I, I, I do. I actually think Montreal, Toronto will be a really, really, really difficult series for the Leafs. I think the way that Montreal's built on the back end, big physical defensemen. You know, the Leafs like to to set up shop, obviously in the offensive zone, kind of slow the game down and control the puck. Well, when you slow it down with Montreal's defensemen, that works in their favor. 
And they're going to get yeah. Ben Sherratt back here soon too, uh, who fits into this mold. You know, Shea Weber, obviously Edmondson. Edmondson. You know, they have players that sort of physically punish you when you're in their zone, and they do a really good job if you look at the numbers of taking away the middle of the ice, and and so they they effectively can neutralize what the Leafs do a little bit. And I think that that if they get goaltending, and you know, Jake Allen's given them pretty good goaltending. Uh, you know, I know it hasn't been a great season for Carey Price. You know, I could just see that being a lot of close games and it being hard for them. You know, maybe in the way that the Leafs made it hard all the way back when against Washington, right? That series was really close, even though Washington was clearly a better team and, and ultimately got through it. Um, you know, there, there's, there's, there's some, it's going to be tough. And I think that's why someone like Foligno makes sense overhauled again, too. I think he's a player that's going to grind through that kind of series a little bit better that, that, um, you know, I know that Jonas is worried about the goals and all that stuff, but I, I, I just think that the Leafs need to be committed to playing a certain way if they play that sort of team. And then you're right, Winnipeg is also difficult for them if they end up facing them in round two. Probably the team the Leafs would have, I wouldn't say the easiest time with, but I think that, that it's a more comfortable series for them is Edmonton just because they play similar ways yeah. and they've had a lot of success against them this year. Well, let me just be clear. I, I, think, that, I, I think the Felino edition makes sense. But I'm not as like, I, I think I need to see it before I'm like, I'm, I guess I'm not as gung-ho as, as maybe most people, uh, but I see the value and I see the point and I think it's interesting. Um, anyway, we're out of time. Chris, you're the people's number one favorite guest. So thank you as always for coming on with us and nerding it out. It's funny because I, I hate when I'm on because that means I can't listen to the episode because I'm also a listener of this podcast. So You can still listen to it. No, I, I don't watch myself on TV. I don't listen to myself on radio or podcasts. I can't do it. Do you at least look at your hair on TV? Because it looks, looked pretty glorious lately. Oh, man. It's, that's the pandemic. It's not a style choice. No, but I actually think it looks good. Okay. I thought you're funny because like Ray Ferraro was texting me the other day, like chirping me about it. So the, I don't. I, you got a little bit of flow in there. It looks. It, my my old man said it looked like he had a hair transplant, which I know is not not true, but that's what my dad said. The, the hair is playing the mixed reviews online right now. So <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were just giving me the gears about it. Well, it looks better than what I got a big mullet going on. So I'm glad I'm not on TV right now. I haven't had a haircut since November though. So yeah, I, I trimmed the wings myself on the side a little bit, but <laughs> I, I literally, I mean, because obviously. In downtown Toronto, where I live, the, you know, unfortunately for the people in that industry, the, the, all the barbers have been closed. And you know, Sportsnet requested that we not get any black market haircuts. That, that we want to be a leader in the community. And so, Elliot Friedman and I are following along. And Elliot's getting a lot of chirps about his flow too. James, any other thoughts? Do you, do you no. want to take us out? Yeah. Thanks for having. Or thanks for having us. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> thanks for having it was, us. Chris. It's been a long couple of days. Thanks for coming on, Chris. It was awesome. Thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, if you're not subscribed, theathletic.com slash leaf report. Uh, buy your manscapers and you can trim your wings too. And if you're not subscribed, what are you thinking? Get on that. Nice, CJ. Nice. Thanks, boys. Thanks.